0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Today we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read a familiar passage. It is Father's Day, so I'm going to try to weave in a little bit of a Father's theme here today. And uh, my, my title for this sermon, if you're a churchgoer, if you're a TED Talker, my big idea... If you are an intellectual, my thesis would be the father's business. Is that okay? The father's business. And uh, I think it's really cool on Father's Day that we can get together. And uh, again, I'm so pumped for all of you that made it out physically. I feel like most of the dads in our church are in the mountains uh, in a boat right now fishing. But the fact that you made it today, well done, dads. Uh, We're going to have a great time, though. Uh, Here at Oceans, we believe that you can actually enjoy God, not just endure him. We actually do. This is crazy. We believe that God has a sense of humor. And uh, I know there's a lot of heavy things going on in the world, but the Bible does say that laughter does good like medicine. Well, let's take some meds today. Come on. (laughs) I like to always mention that we got to agree that medical companies do not know what fruit tastes like. And so, tough crowd. Um, But we are going to have a good time this morning today. Uh, We're going to open up. I'm going to read 21 verses, which is a little bit more than usual, Uh, but I will read fast. It's a well-known story. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard it preached probably 70 or 80 times, uh, but my hope would be today is that we look at something uh, something that we've seen a lot, but see it with a fresh set of eyes. And uh, I want to talk to you today about the Father's business. I'm referencing Luke chapter 2 as well. When Jesus was 12 years old, it said that he was found. We don't have a lot, of, a lot of history. Basically, there's a dark ages of Jesus' life from basically 12 to 30 years of age. We don't know much about what was going on, but we do have this little snapshot at 12 years old, right before he was an official teenager, actually in Jewish world, Uh, He was considered a man at 12 years of age. So at 12 years of age, he's actually found loitering in the church. And his parents didn't realize they left him there. They go a couple days journey. uh, And I want to let you know that they were, you may not be the first one to ever leave Jesus in church. Um, His own parents did it. And they left God at church. And they're like, oh my gosh, where's Jesus? He's at church still. Um, And so they came back. Famous responses. Jesus said to them, why were you worried? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? And that's kind of the premise of the message. But without being too on the nose here today, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Again, I'm going to read 21 verses if you're new to our community, if you're watching online right now. Actually, even if you're in the room, do me a favor. One of my favorite, uh, if you want to give me a gift for Father's Day, why don't you pull your phone out right now and share this message on Facebook. That is the gift that keeps on giving. And so you can go and share this right now. If you're online watching, go and share this right now. Luke Luke chapter 15, I want to talk to you today about the father's business. If you're young and you don't like that title, you want a fun young title, you can write this down, Lost Boys. (laughs) So you can determine if you're old or young which title you write down. Let's read this. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 11, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. How many? Where are you at, second service? How many? Two Two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood, and and not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together, and he journeyed to Vegas, or to a far country, and wasted his possessions there on prodigal living. But when he had spent everything, there arose a severe COVID uh, famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pig food that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, say it with me, to himself. Jesus is insinuating that when you're not living with the Father and for the Father, you're not fully you. It's kind of like a Snickers commercial. Come on. You're not you when you're hungry. That would have been a good title for a message. I will arise. I will go to my Father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven I've, I, uh, and against you, and, and I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants, and he arose, and he came to the father, the father, and uh, when he was still a great way off, the father saw him, he had compassion, he ran, he fell on his neck, he kissed him, and, and the son said to the father, father, i have sinned against heaven and against you on your side, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father shouted to his servants, bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, some Tevas, come on and Birkenstocks, bring them out and bring the fatted calf and kill it for let us be merry for this son of mine was, was lost and he's found, he was dead and he's alive again they begin to celebrate now his older son was in the field and it's, he came, drew near the house he heard music and he heard come on, say with me, dancing I want to highlight, this is a big party if you can hear dancing that's a, little, that's a lot of feet and so uh, he heard dancing, and so he called one of the servants. He goes, what's going on? He said, your father, has, your brother has come home, and because of this, you're, he's received safe and sound. Your dad has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. Say it with me. He was angry. He was angry he would not go in there, for his father came and pleaded with him. So he answered and said, lo, which is always, you know, this going to be a complaint. Come on, honey, any parents in here? Your, your kids came to you and said, lo? You knew what was coming. Something about a fatted calf, probably. Watch what it says. Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments, which I would say is a little bit of a lie, at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat. <laughs> Just imagine this is modern day. You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends, but as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured his livelihood in Vegas with harlots, killed, you killed a fatted calf for him? The father's response, son, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. It was right that we should rejoice and celebrate. Your brother was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Yeah. I love good dads. Amen. It like a good dad. Yeah. How many think the world's solution today is just a good dad? Yeah. I think That's what the world needs today. Just, we need to try this out. We just need to get a good dad in power. Yeah. And the good dad comes to one side and says, hey, guys, knock it off. Other side here, you stop that. Now, hug each other and quit it. Spank you both. Okay, Dad. We just need a good dad to fix the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in my favorite church, my favorite day of the week. I thank you that, Lord, even when we're weak, that you're strong. I thank you that even when we're in dark times, your light shines bright. So, Lord, today, would you please meet with us? Would you speak to us? Would you heal? Would you move? Would Would you make it, Lord, obvious that you're in the room today? I thank you that you would do what only you can do, as we do what only we can do. God bless today. Bless all the dads in the house and those watching online. In Jesus' name, bless the Lakers. Everyone say Come on. Amen. 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 Uh, I don't know. I just love, um, I love big moments. I'm a big moment type of guy. I like the big moments of life. Who likes big moments in life? I just love the big, I love, I love, man, I I. I, I thought a lot about how I was going to graduate, uh, how I was going to walk, my ceremony, I I was excited about high school grad. I was excited about prom, I was, I like the big moments of life, I was excited on my wedding day, come on somebody, really excited for the honeymoon, hello, and uh, praise the Lord, and uh, I like big moments, I was excited about big moments in life, one of the biggest moments you know as a parent is the moment your first child comes into the world, and uh, I will remember, never forget, you know, kind of, Rochelle got pregnant, I like to say we got pregnant, uh, because I think I gained more weight than she did she was on bed rest for three months and so people from our church were bringing meals over every day so we were eating like come on the sultan and uh i gained come on i made the COVID 19 look like the COVID 41 and uh we we were gaining weight together and um i'm like do you need anything i might need some stuff too and uh she was craving stuff i was craving no so uh we we decided I, I made an executive decision that we were not going to go through a birthing class. I'd seen enough movies. I seen Father the Bride come on a couple of times. Uh, I knew I'm like I do not need a birthing class. And I think by the way, it's a little bit of a generous t- title, birthing coach. Really, all you're doing is standing in the corner crying, birthing coach. Pretty generous title. I, I thought, man, I, I just, I remember uh, being in the room. We didn't do the birthing class, but I was in the room when Kenzie was born and when Chloe was born. And um, I just remember the doctor tried to enlist my services in the delivery room. I'll never forget, we're in the heat of the battle. Um, I'm freaking out. Rochelle's freaking out, right? <laughs> I'm like, man, you're going to lose your weight right now. I'm not. Um, and... Uh, I was like, I was freaking out. And the doctor looked at me and said, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I was like, isn't that your job? I'm not a surgeon. This is ridiculous. I was like, do I get a discount? And so I'm, I'm talking to him like, this is, this is ridiculous. I don't know why you're trying to enlist me. But this baby, you know, ends up coming into the world and everyone always says newborn babies are so cute. That's a lie. Can we all agree? They're like little aliens, like contorted faces and Kansy had to get suctioned out. See a little cone head. Looks like Dan Aykroyd's child, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, my gosh, what is and so we uh we had this, we had this first little girl, and I was just we were just really enthralled and enraptured by being parents and so special. Remember they put the little pink and blue beanie on. Um, I'm like, that's a cool little beanie. Um I remember put in a little tub. You know the tub, the tupperware. That tupperware sells me, me doing good at the hospital. Big tub there. They put the baby in, and I remember following it in, making sure they didn't mix anything up. All eyes on the child. And and um just remember from that very first moment I saw Kenzie becoming a dad. It's a special, you know, as a father, there is nothing in the world like becoming a dad. It's a, such a special moment, such a special uh feeling. It's so funny even seeing first-time parents trying to identify the little alien, the traits that are like them, right out of the gate. He has your nose. It's like, no, his nose is like messed up right now. (laughs) I don't need that trait at the moment. Has your eyes. It's like, no, the eyes aren't, like the eyes aren't normal yet. And um, there's something about though when you become a father and as, as they get older and they they do start to take on your looks, and they start to take on your attributes and your humor and their, and their, their passions and hobbies. And, you know, my, my oldest daughter is so much like Rochelle that she loves, you know, she loves fashion, and she likes shopping, and she's more indoorsy. Like her mom. Rochelle's not outdoorsy. She's indoorsy. And, um, like, camping is like the montage, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, that's not, that's not camping. Uh, and, um... And then, and then Chloe's like, she's like me. She's like a blender that's missing a lid, you know. And um, she's just a firecracker, and she's energetic, and she rides motorcycles, and she like, she's not scared of anything. And it's just amazing that you know they get older and they start doing facial expressions like you. There's things that Kenzie, Kenzie does, and like that is just like your mama. And uh, there's things that they do that are like me, and I always know they're acting like me because Rochelle will give me credit for it. Dads, have you ever noticed that when your kids are being good, it's our kids? But the moment they're not being good, it's always, come in here, Mark, your daughter. Why is she my kid now? What happened to us? No, I and team, right? But I I, I noticed that, you know, one of the greatest things about becoming a father is when they start getting interested in what you're interested in. I mentioned this maybe two weeks ago, but my daughters now love the Hallmark Channel because their grandma loved it, and their mama loves it, and now I'm tortured with it. And um, it's been a generational thing passed on, And, and I was thinking, man, it's just so amazing to me how, you know, one of the greatest compliments of a child is when they get interested in what belongs to their parents. Can I say that again? One of the greatest compliments of great parents is when your kids start taking on your interest, and they start going, "I like mom. I like that you pray. I want to pray. I like that you. I like that you are into worship. I like to sing. My little Chloe's been singing all of our songs lately. She goes home, Mel, singing songs you sang on Sunday, and and uh, I just I think it's the cutest thing in the world. She butchers all the lyrics, but there's fragments like remnants. I think that's the worship song today. I, uh, I love this because, you know, Jesus said early on in his life, by the way, I think it's interesting that in junior high, that age, when many of us make decisions in our interest that determine the trajectory of our futures, God sets an example example that at a young age, many, when, when many would say, you know, God isn't very important for like junior hires, for high school students. I love that God makes a big explanation point in the middle of his whole story and says, you know what God was interested in in junior high? He was interested in asking questions and sitting in the house of God. Yeah. This, is, this is so cool that he was interested. in his response to his mom and dad, even though his earthly father was a carpenter, which he would go on to follow suit and become a carpenter for some years, but he made a definitive statement at 12 years of age that he says, you know what I want to do with my life is I want to be about my father's business. I want to value what my father values. I want to love what my father loves. I want to walk in his footsteps. Yeah, yeah. And I love that in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, the same person that said the statement, I must be about my father's business, gives us a beautiful picture of what great fathers are like. Yeah. Can I give you a picture of what great fathers are like? Yeah. Again, I think great fathers are those that can actually love both extremes in kids. Yeah. Any other parents in here have, have kids that are like totally different than each other? How can you have the exact same genetic code in your children, and yet they can be so completely different? And I love that parents are so good at loving both extremes. What I found is is if we strive to just be be us or to let other people that are different from us just be them, that we will never know the consistencies and the unity and the reconciliation and the restoration that comes with valuing becoming like our Father. I actually believe the only cure for humanity is a world full of human beings that's desire is is to become like their father that is the only common ground that all of us walk on together is that we have a maker we have someone that made us formed us fashioned us we're made in his image and that god's desire is is that as we get closer to him that he would give us his desires for his children I've noticed that in a healthy family, you can have have brothers and sisters that have different political views. You can have brothers and sisters that have different priorities and values, and it's crazy. You can still sit down at the table and love them because here's what we know is that true family values each other more than their differences. And I love this, that the father comes in Luke 15, and basically the story is called the prodigal son, but I think it shouldn't be called the prodigal son. It should be either called the lost boys or the good dad. And I wasn't going to call it the good day, because I don't want to encourage any daddy God prayers in here. Can I agree on this? I would take 100, 150 father God prayers, then one daddy God. Are you hearing me? That's for someone today. Is God in Luke 15, he comes on the scene, and he shows us what the father's business is all about. You see, we live in a we live in a broken world right now, and... It, it, it's, it's a world that is really promoting, and again, the next couple months going to be so politically charged, and all the advertisements, and everything that we watch, and all of our phones, it's like everything's blowing up, and it's amazing that today, is much like the world Jesus was in, that was trying to jockey for a God that would return political power. Now, I certainly encourage voting. I'm all about living in America. I love our country, and anybody else that loves America said amen. Hashtag America. But I want you to know this, that in Jesus' day, they actually thought that he was going to come, that he was going to actually take back power for the Romans and give the children, the children of Israel their state back in Jerusalem. They thought that Jesus came to restore political power. And it's amazing that when the world was demanding Jesus, is this the time that we overthrow Rome? Is this the time that we actually take office and we, we occupy the White House and we, we, we stick it to the Romans? Is this the window? And I love the fact that in Jesus' day, his kingdom, his father's kingdom, was not about restoring political power. It was a kingdom that was actually about healing the sick. It was about befriending and loving the unlovable. It was about talking about the forgiveness of people's sins. And, and, and Jesus basically says, look, my kingdom is not about sending in t- tanks. It's not about sending in jets and missiles and physical warfare. My kingdom is about sending in the meek. My kingdom is about sending in the mourners. My, my father's business is about sending in the, the righteous and sending in those that are hunger and thirst for his desires. My kingdom actually is about a world that's invaded by the peacemakers. You see, there's always been evil at work in the world since the foundations of the world, but historically, whenever evil ran rampant on the earth, God's... Kingdom, and his kingdom people, they were the ones that were confronting the forces of darkness, starting hospitals, building churches, establishing orphanages. People go, Mark, what are Christians doing? You look around historically in the world, and listen, there was no hospitals for for the masses until the Christians rose up. Do you realize that Christianity brought something to the world that was not on the earth before Jesus came? There was never, a, the only nation that cared for, for orphans and widows and hospice and, and education was the Jewish nation, but they only did it for their own people. Yeah. And we come on the scene, we read all the historical letters of, of missionaries that actually went in to places that actually martyred them and, 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 and spoke evil of them. Times when diseases, I, I, I read about, a I heard about a guy, even in the Hawaiian Islands in the early 1900s, during leprosy outbreaks, that these missionaries were going in and treating these lepers and actually getting the infection themselves and loving people that didn't believe in their God. And these people go, why in the world would you sacrificially give up your lives to care for us when we made fun of your God? And all the responses of the Christians were, you know what, our God actually went and died for us. So we willingly offer up our lives to do the same for others. It's all right. I'll take the golf clap. I appreciate the golf clap. Praise God. We serve a God that doesn't work the way that we work. He invades with compassion. He invades with kindness. He invades with selfless love. The problem today is our, our Messiah's return has been a political return. And we're actually, we're actually worshiping in the pastures of politics. And the world has become blue and it's become red. But I want to remind you that when, when Joshua said to the angel of the Lord, whose side are you on? Wow. The angel's like, Neither. You with us or you with them? And I want to remind you, if you you call yourself a Christian, before you are anything else, I want you to remind you that you are not a part of a political system. You are part of an eternal kingdom. I'm on the Lord's side. I want to be on God's side. And again, I'm not saying you can't vote. I want you to. I want you to be passionate about what you're passionate about, but I want you to do this. Always, always render a greater level of enthusiasm and passion for eternal over temporary. I promise you, that'll, that'll be worthwhile. And the reality is, is that many, day, many, many of us today are struggling with the extremes. What do you mean extremes? I, I think that one of the extremes, if we're going to be about our father's business, is we see extremes in the world today that you have people that are lost outside, and we have an equal amount of people that are lost inside. I want to I show this. In Luke 15, we have the first son comes to the dad. He's the younger son. Give me what belongs to me. He basically looks at his dad and says, I wish you would die. I want what you're going to give me when you're gone, and I want it now. It's actually the original script for that commercial. I want my money, and I want it now. Luke 15. He comes to his father, and he says, I want my money, and I want it now. The good father actually gives it to him, because one of the greatest gifts that God gives his children is free will. And what I've learned is God will actually honor your will, even when it's evil. And so this son comes to him. I'll talk about that in a moment is the son comes and says, give me what belongs to me now. And the son gets what belongs to him. And uh, what we see here is this son is complete. Listen, I want to make an observation here. This son spent years with the father in the house. We don't know the exact duration of time, but we do know that he's not probably five years old. He's probably closer to his 20s. And the son comes to him after spending maybe maybe two decades of his life in the house and with the father. But here's what we know is that the son never became like the father. He never let who the Father was shape who he was. And I wonder how many people today are in the church that have been in the church, have been around God, but they've never let who God is shape who they are. I was reading a Dallas Willard book recently because my friend Paul is a big fan. And I was reading this book, and he talks about how uh, a philosophy major at Harvard University from a blue-collar family basically was, was uh, facing injustice, was facing persecution. And, and in this philosophy program, from all these people because she was a blue-collar person, and she was working her way through her university, university schooling, and all of these other kids were basically making fun of her. They were bullying her. And essentially, some of them were like sexually harassing her to the point that she decided to drop out of the university. She came to her philosophy department head and she informed him that she's leaving the university. And she made this observation. She said, You know what? My problem is, is we're being taught right now what is right and what is good in the world and what is right and good in history. But why is it that we cannot teach, for some reason, good into people? And it's amazing that you can study history, you can study philosophy, you can study facts and anthropology and all these things, but you can, it's amazing, you can know all about good events, but it's really a different uh, topic of getting that goodness inside of you. It's amazing that the people that were actually criticizing her were straight-A students. So how could you actively know what's right and wrong historically but not live it out day-to-day? It's because only God can change the human heart. And so what we see here is that the first thing we know is that this this son was in the house long enough to know the father, to live in the house, but to never become like the father. And he was lost. There's two groups of people that are lost. The first of the lost boys is the first lost boy was lost outside. And here's a little test if you want to know if you're lost outside. Lost people on the outside are those that, number one, are wasting You know, there's a level of lostness. There's a level of just I'm not where I'm supposed to be. When you look at your life and you realize that you're wasting talents, you're wasting opportunities, you're wasting influence, you're wasting. I mean, you can on the list. You could be wasting your health right now. You could be wasting your destiny, your potential. You might be you might be medicating yourself too much. You might be addicted to things. There's something about being lost outside of God's will that there's one true uh, marker, road, road marker that if I look at my life right now, I am wasting things. I remember sitting down, I was a chaplain for Boise State for many years, and one of the starting tight ends, I sat with them, I said, bro, you're on ESPN right now on Saturdays. We don't have a pro football team in Idaho. You guys are the most influential young people in our city. I said, right now, you can stay quiet with your faith in God and be a covert Christian, or you can leverage this window of time for God And look back at your college days and realize that God made a difference with what what God gave me then. I said, you have two choices. You can use this season for God, or you can look back and say, I wasted one of the greatest windows of opportunity. I wish I could tell you that that was the guy that actually leveraged it, but he didn't. But I saw other people at that university leverage the windows of influence to say, God gave me this gift. God gave me this moment, and I will leverage all that I have to actually make him look good. And so we see this. Are you with me today? Is the first son that's lost outside, he was wasteful. The second thing that we know about wasteful, li- uh, wasteful living is it usually is, a, is connected to wild living. It says he wasn't just wasteful. He wasted what he had. He actually was prodigally living. He went to Vegas. He, he checked into the Cosmo presidential suite. He actually went downstairs. He put all of his money on red. Come on. This guy just starts living wild. He's living recklessly. And I do believe that one of the things that God does when he rescues us is he gives us wisdom. Wisdom is to actually, wisdom is the art of living life smart. And I think that most people that you're like, Mark, I don't have a lot of wisdom going on right now. It's because you're living wild. I think that we live in a world right now that's wild. And by the way, the son that's outside, the root of his problems is lawlessness. What is the root of being lost outside? It's lawlessness. Here's the lie of lawlessness, that it's better when you do it your way than others. That's the lie of lawlessness. The lie of lawlessness is that, man, you can make you happy better than anybody else can. But have you ever noticed that the more you drink of the salt water around you, the more thirsty you become? Because sin is like drinking salt water, the faster you drink it, the faster you die. No one ever said that it doesn't, you know, temporarily, man, I got some fluid in my body. It's killing you. And so wasteful, wild, and it always leads to this. When you waste and you live wild long enough, you'll always end up to point number three when you're lost outside is you always end up, number three, in want. It says that he finally woke up one day. I'm in want. I am I'm starving. That pig's food is looking great. Our pet's heads are falling. He's like, this is so ridiculous. I'm so annoyed. At how bad my life is going, I am in want. He began to be in want. And he finally has this epiphany, because listen, you know that you're having, you're, you're lacking and you're missing something when you start realizing, oh my gosh, because when you, this is, this is the test, if you know you're in want, there's a need somewhere in your soul. Here's what always happens, is you always question your self-worth. He said, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him, Come on, verse 14, I am no longer worthy. Here's a little dirty secret about Christianity. You are never worthy. Paul says your righteousness is like filthy rags. I won't tell you what that actually translates to be, but it's not something I want to talk about in the the Lord's house. (laughs) I'm telling you, you on your best day are filthy compared to God. And we think, no, I, was, I went to church this week, I gave some money, I, I like was in a group, I, I brought my kids to youth, and I, I'm doing the right, and I'm not, I'm not condemning any of those actions, but I am saying this, that it's more than just, it's more than just, a, it's like, it's not just doing the right things and checking the right boxes, is that your worth, is that if I'm in want long enough, we think that we're no longer worthy. Listen, our worth, worth is always gauged on what someone is willing to pay for it. Someone knows where I'm going. Art is 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 valued based on the market of what people are willing to pay. And if you want to know what you're worth is, it's not because I, well I went to church this week. So I'm worth a little bit. More. My stock's gone up. Right? Man, I sang three songs today, right? I did all three. I raised my hand for 10 seconds. I did the I, you know, I, I did the I volunteer. Come on during worship. Right? I did the come on, I, I I'm holding the TV for you, the little one. I did the big screen hold. Come on, Lord. Come on, big screen. (laughs) I did the, I caught a fish. Come on, this. Come on, I did the tomahawk today for you. (laughs) I could go all day. Listen, your value is not on what you give to God. Your value is found on what God was willing to give to you. What was God willing to pay for us? The value of your life was the life of Jesus. And here's the good news is that Jesus, it actually says, while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. So your worth does not go up or down predicated upon you living in or out of the will of God. This is wild. But do you know that your value is the same when you're in the will of God? Then you're out of the will of God in God's eyes. What does it mean? It means that God does not love you more or love you less based upon where you are. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yes, that's true. But the Father still loves all of his creation. That's why he says it is the goodness of God that leads men to turn to him. It is the Father's good desire to have all believed that all would be saved. All right. Can I keep going? Come on, help preacher, preach this morning. So the, the, the lost boys, first one outside is lost with waste, wild, and want, and he has problems with his value and worth. But there's also an older brother that's lost inside. Who's ever met a Christian that was like, ah, you go to church, but I think you're just as screwed up. Do <laughs> you say that in church? this is a bit of a mystery, but I think you're messed up too. (laughs) This is crazy. I've met people that are lost on the inside. Lost on the inside are people that usually, I don't know if you've ever met one of these people. Uh, What I found online is that usually the meanest people in every thread are Christians. You ever met one of these people? Because they know the scriptures, but they don't know the spirit. And scriptures without the spirit of God comes across very, it's like, It's like surgery without anesthesia. That's what it's like. All right, we're going to fix this thing. Ow! Like, where's the grace? Grace is the medicine that actually makes truth bearable. And that's why Jesus was the personification of grace and truth. What does grace and truth look like? It looks like this. A woman caught in the act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Someone say grace. Go and sin no more. What is that? Jesus always demonstrate both. So we see that that religious are like the older brother and by the way the older the younger brother was lawless but the older brother was religious. I think both are equally dangerous. What do you mean equally? I mean I'm not saying listen something like religion well, is, is religion like just the belief of God yes but when we say religion we're using it in the context of it's basically rules and regulations, formations, and if I, if I push that button and this button, God will do that. That's religion. And I think that's why God did different miracles. How many how many blind people did God heal? How many deaf people did God heal? How many times did He do it the exact same way? Hardly ever. Why? Because God did not want us to become Methodist. I mean, um can't say Joe, it's church joke, church joke, church joke. He didn't want us to marry the methods. If I do it this way and I do it that way, I'll get that outcome. What did he want us to do? He wanted us to actually have a relationship, not just a religious belief. All right, we'll keep going. Getting quiet in the Presbyterian church. I'll keep going. I know where I'm not wanted. He was angry. He was angry. How do you know he was angry? Because he says the father was angry. He wouldn't go inside. You know what religion does is, is... Religion gets angry about the Father's ability to love, accept, restore, and reconcile the other side that you don't think deserves it. That's what, that's what religion does. Theologically, as straight as a gun barrel usually, religious people, but just as hollow. They know scriptures, but they don't know the heart and the love of the Holy Spirit. And that's the older, older son was lost on the inside. He was angry. How about this? Number two is not only was he angry, the one the lost boy on the inside, the older brother, was not just angry. He had an attitude. You ever met someone that just has an attitude? And it's like they somehow made God happier than you have because they've done more? Well, I went on a missions trip. I read my Bible every day. I tithe up with my mint and my, 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 my hummus. What are you talking about? Like... Like, you, I, I'm, I'm more righteous than, like, I go to, I, I'm a Bible study six days a week, and I just serve the Lord, and I'm just asking me in my house, I'm going to serve the Father God, and hallelujah, and praise the Lord. It's like, dude, settle down. We think somehow that, that if we do more um, good than bad, then God will accept us. And I want to just, I want to de- debunk this myth that God, heaven is not like you die, and God gets this big scale out. He's like, all right, all the good deeds on the right side, all the bad deeds on the left side, let's see how this teeter-totter goes, see if you're going to make it in. God does not do that. It's not the way it works. And there's an attitude that this this older son had. This is what his attitude was, that the years of obedience to the father were out of grim duty, not loving delight. I was with you all these years. I've never sinned at all. You never gave me that. I never had that opportunity. How come this son of yours, remember, Mark, come in here, your daughters, there's an attitude, come on somebody, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours comes back and you give him what you never gave me. And I love the father's response to this religious spirit. He goes, I've always been with you. Everything that I possess has been available to you. It's not my fault. You haven't taken advantage of my goodness that's on you that's not on me and I love that the father comes and here's what we know about the spirit of religion it's not just angry it doesn't just have an attitude it always makes broad assumptions this son of yours look the bible says prodigal living it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't quantify exactly what the what the prodigal living was but what the older brother does is he makes a nasty assumption of the worst Notice what he says. This son of yours comes back, who's wasted your livelihood with harlots. It's like no one said anything about harlots till you did. You're thinking the absolute worst, and that's what religion does. Because here's what I know about humanity: is every human being has gaps. Sit with me, gaps. Come on, oceans, help me out today. Sit gaps. Come on, write it online in your in your little feed. Sit gaps. Gaps are when you don't know something about somebody. You don't know something about a situation. There is a part of the story that you haven't been told. By the way, I think it's so funny when we have partial knowledge, but we think we have absolute truth. Look, I was watching the news for six hours. I know how to solve all this. Look, I know. Listen, just sit down. Grab some Cheetos and my lazy boy, come on. We're going to solve some problems right now. You really think with your limited knowledge... That you, you're, you can you can solve problems that people that are in high security, the Pentagon, that ha- they know what we don't know. And listen, we're sitting there with our funnies like, do I got this? <laughs> they just need to do that. I think it's so ironic in the day that we live in that we make broad assumptions. Here's the deal. There's gaps where we don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to say we, don't, we can't make solutions, but I'm saying this. Here's what I do know is that whenever there's a gap, and there's usually gaps all the time. There's gaps with your moms, there's gaps with your dads. Why did they buy them something, and not us? Why do they help your sister and not us? Why do they, why do they why, why did the coworker give him a raise and not me a raise? Why are they acknowledging his good deeds and not my whenever there is a sit with me? Gap. Yeah. Religious people will always fill gaps with suspicion. Yeah. Must be nice. He got a raise, must be nice, probably stealing money. He's going to prison must be nice all religious people always put suspicion in the gaps and um i've learned this that it assumes the worst but what what the spirit of the father does is it always believes the best i want to be about my father's business what's the father's business like thanks for asking good question here's what the father's business is like number one the father's business is about his will it's about his will and god is so good that he'll actually give you a free will and people say, why, why is there evil in the world? Because God gave us a free will. And you can't have free will, and, and you can't have a free will and not have evil in the world simultaneously. Well, God should deal with all the bad stuff in the evil in people's will. So where do you start, and where do you stop? So, like, do you think God should just get rid of all the murderers? You murder, God get them. Lord, get them, sick them. So we pray that way? No. So do you you go like just the action level of murder or do we go the thought level of murder? Is it the action level of rape or the thought level of rape? Because if God, listen, if God started dealing with not just the actions but the thoughts, we'd all be dead. Those that just actually stole or thought about stealing? Those that actually were angry or those that thought about getting angry? If God dealt with the act, are you hearing me, the thoughts, that's why he gave us free will. One of the greatest gifts that God has ever given humanity is the ability to choose. Because, by the way, it's not love if you don't choose it. Do you know how you know if you love God? Because you say, look, I don't have to love you. I don't have to live for you. I don't have to serve you. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to believe in what you you said. But I freely with my will. Because here's what I know. Here's four things that a good father does for his sons. That four things that a son does for the father. You ready? The first thing is God has a will. And listen, great fathers not only give free will. They have a written will. When I pass away, I'm going to write a will that says, this is what you do with my estate. Kansas, you get $15. Come on, Chloe, you get the other 15 Done. I'm going to leave my children what I work for in my life. What I work, what I strive, what I hustle for in this life, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I will leave to my descendants. And what Jesus did is he worked in his life. And what he paid for with his hustle in his life, he wrote it down. And here's what I know. A will is worthless unless someone reads it. Everybody come in. The state, we're going to do state reading. Someone gets the attorney, gets the will, starts reading it. And this belongs to Chloe. This belongs to Kenzie. Listen, God has given us a will full of promises. But the issue is, is most of us won't take the time to read it. Like, if God took the time to write a will, I should take the time to read it. Yeah. I don't know what belongs to me. So we see that great fathers have a will. And here's what I know about great sons. Great sons desire their father's will. Great sons are like Romans 12, 2. Do not be transformed to this world. but Do not be conformed, excuse me, to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what the good and the uh, acceptable. Whenever I pause, that's your cue. Good and acceptable How do you prove what God's will is by letting God transform your mind? How does he transform your mind? By reading the word of God. I'm almost finished. You still with me today? Good fathers have a will. How about this? Good fathers, they wait. Notice the father was waiting, waiting, waiting. Some of you right now, your kids are away from God. Some of your grandkids are away from God. One of the greatest things you can do is you can continue to wait. I am believing in faith. I'm going to wait in faith that they're coming back one day. And I'm going to keep on praying on my porch until they do. Great fathers wait. And I love it because when the sun comes back, great fathers don't just wait, they watch. And let me say this, I'm waiting. Great sons and daughters wait. Isaiah 40, 40, 31. Those that wait, what do they do? They renew their strength. They mount up on wings like eagles. They run and they don't grow weary. They walk, they don't faint. There's something about the father waiting on us that he's like, Tag. You're it. Now I want you to wait on me. That's what God does. His love actually summons us. And once it summons us and tags us, then all of a sudden we're like, all right, you had a will for me. Now I want your will for me. You waited for me. Now I want to wait on you. And thirdly, you didn't just wait on me. You watched for me. It says, while he was a great way off, the Father saw him. He ran to him. Why'd he run? Listen. Patriarchs did not run in Bible days. It was dishonorable for um, adult males to run in Bible days. But he didn't care what people thought about him. He was too overjoyed. And he ran because he saw him from a distance. And when he saw him, he number four, he welcomed him. You know, Matthew 26, 41 says to watch and to pray. Listen, Jesus watched for me to come back. So as soon as I came back to him, came back to the Father, I now have the privilege of watching as well. Unless the, unless the watchman watches over the city, come on, uh, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God is the God that watched for me to come. Now, once I come into a relationship with him, I can begin to watch too. And number four is, is I love it, the father welcomes. He has the big arms, outstretched, gives him a big hug, and I love it. He shouts, bring out the best. And I love, this is what this great fathers offer you. You don't know need offer you? great fathers offer you this welcoming love you i don't care where you've been i don't care where you've been how much how much you worth come on help what's what value here help me you guys see this it's benjamin on here come on help me out who wants this hundred dollar bill yeah we'll wake up yeah real fast watch hundred dollar bill what's it worth hundred dollars okay this hundred dollar bill it went to vegas harlots prostitutes gambling lost everything, wasted potential, wasted dreams, but somehow comes back, gets trampled on by the devil a little bit, but somehow the father's waiting and watching and says, I I want you back. Starts unfolding this. You're all right. I can still use you. How much is it still worth? You're telling me what happened to it didn't change its value. Is that what you're saying? You're preaching good this day. I'm telling you. You're pre- I- it hasn't changed its value. I love that the Father welcomes. And here's what I love about Christianity. God welcomes us back. And when he welcomes you back, you know what we able to do as good kids? Is we're able every day to wake up and welcome him. Psalms 100, verse 4, is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Hey, good to see you. Come into his courts with praise. God, you are so good. God, I want to give you a big hug. I'm going to bring out the best. My best worship. I'm going to bring out my best time. I'm going to bring out my best of my, my livelihood and my business. And my, I'm going to bring you my best. That's what the Father does to us, and that's what we do back to Him. And this is my last point. I'm sorry. I've got to finish this up. Is the last thing we know about God. That good fathers do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And there's something that you can do for God that God cannot do for himself. You ready? Last point, point number five. His great fathers offer this to you that you can't offer yourself is he had the ability and the power to restore and to reconcile his past. You and I cannot fix ourselves. You ever tried? Just me, I guess. I have tried to detangle my mind tried to detangle my will. I tried my best, man, to like fix me. And the more I focused on me, the more I more screwed up I got. I love one of the one of the great philosophers I read or theologians I read, he said this he goes, whenever you keep the keep Jesus at the center of the frame and work outwards, life falls into perspective. But if you focus on other parts of life that aren't Jesus, he gets pushed out of the frame. And what I have found is is that good fathers bring restoration and reconciliation. I want you to put the same robe that he had on before he left back on him. That ring he was wearing before he left. Get that ring back. Where's his sandals that go in his room? Get the same thing he had on before he went. And I want you to put it back on him. This way we don't talk about Christianity today. God is the only one that has the power to restore us to his original design. Listen. True love doesn't just love you where you are. True love will lead you back into God's original intent. Yeah. Another message. Yeah. But there's something we can offer God that he can't offer himself. You ready? So he offers us restoration. We can't fix us, but he can. But there's something we can offer him that he can't offer himself. You ready? Could be really, really, really cliche. You ready? Buckle up. All W words. We can offer him our will. We can offer him our waiting, our watching, our welcoming. And guess what? Number five. We can offer God worship. Do you know that God cannot worship himself? Do you know that God, the only thing, he can, one of the only things he can't do, number one, he can't get better. Do you know that? That'll blow your mind. God cannot improve. To get better insinuates there's room for improvement. In that, there is not. So God cannot improve. The only thing I think he can't do is God cannot worship. To worship something insinuates that it's higher than you. You can only worship what's above you. And because God is not just high, He's the He's the Most High. He can't worship Himself. So what we do as grateful kids, because we have an awesome father, is we say, God, I I want your will for my life. I don't want my will. I want your will. I don't want to just wait. I I want to wait on what you have for my life. I want to watch. I want to pray. I don't want to enter into temptation. I want to welcome you on a daily basis, and I want to live my life to honor and worship you. Would you stand your feet? I want to be about my father's business, my father's business. Great sons, great daughters take on the desires of their parents. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.